Well, we're turning to Scripture now. I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 2. Reading Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Listen to God's word now. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. This morning our sermon is coming from Mark chapter 5, looking at Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And it's Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Listen to God's word now. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about two thousand, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. 
And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Well, if you remember where we are in the Gospel of Mark, we're actually in the middle of a a kind of whirlwind tour with Jesus. Uh, Mark 4 and 5 all seem to take place within a a very short space of time, maybe even just a day or so. And Jesus is going back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. And as he goes, he is on a mission. In Mark 4 and Mark 5, Jesus is on a mission to show that he is the Lord. He is God himself. Last week we saw Jesus show that he is the Lord of creation as he stills the storm and saves his disciples. Today we're going to see that he is the Lord over Satan in the spiritual world. And next week, Jesus will show us that he is the Lord even over death. All of those things that threaten us. A wild storm, Satan himself, and even death. We don't have to fear them because Jesus is the Lord brings us to our passage then in Mark 5 that we just read. As we look at this again, I want you just to see that Jesus uses his power over Satan and the spiritual world to save his people. That's what he's doing here. He's using his power that he has as Lord over Satan and the spiritual world for a purpose. And the purpose is to save his people. We'll see three things this morning. We'll see the power of Satan in verses 1 through 5, we'll see the power of Jesus in verses 6 to 13, and we'll see the response of fear or faith in verses 14 to 20. First, we're going to see the power of Satan in verses 1 through 5. Almost as soon as Jesus lands on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, he's confronted by Satan's power. Look at verse 2. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. We've seen this term before, an unclean spirit. It's a demon. This man is possessed by a demon. One of Satan's fallen angels has taken control of this man's life. And we see the effects of this demon in this man's life. First, the the demon gives him superhuman strength. Look at verses 3 to 4. We see that no one has been able to bind him, even with chains and shackles. Every time someone has tried, he's been able to break through those iron chains and run away. Secondly, though, we see an even worse part of the demon's control over his life by seeing that the demon causes great suffering. This man is suffering because of what the demon is doing to him. We see this suffering already in the fact that this man lives among the tombs. The demon has driven him away from every other person. He is isolating him from people. But the suffering is more than that. We see mental and physical suffering even more clearly in verse 5. Look again. Night and day, constantly. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. The demon is slowly 
but surely destroying this man. He's destroyed his relationships. He's destroying his mind. And he's destroying his body. And the worst part about it is that the demon delights to be doing this. This brings him joy to be destroying these things. Demons delight to destroy God's creation, and especially man who is made in the image of God. How do the demons delight to do these things? Well, they they love doing this because their master, Satan, loves to destroy God's work. Remember, it was Satan. It was Satan who tempted Adam and Eve. He wanted them to bring sin and death and destruction into God's world. Satan was the tempter. And now it is Satan who loves to rule the world that he's destroyed. See, in Colossians, Paul describes Satan's kingdom as the kingdom of darkness. He's talking about the world all around us. He calls it the kingdom of darkness. It is a kingdom opposed to the kingdom of God. In Ephesians, Paul says that everyone who does not belong to Christ is following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among the sons of disobedience. That means that everyone follows Satan, whether they realize it or not. Satan's powerful rule is expressed in many different ways. This demon-possessed man that we see in Mark 5, he's maybe at the far end of the spectrum, but we have to realize that all unbelievers are under his rule. That means today you probably won't see a a demon-possessed man, though demon possession does continue to exist. But I can guarantee you that when you leave this building, you will see many, many people who are under Satan's rule. They don't look any different from you, that's true. But every unbeliever you meet today, every unbeliever you see today, in their own way is rebelling against God and serving Satan. Think about what it's like to be under Satan's rule. Maybe you remember it from before you became a Christian. What is it like under Satan's rule? Well, there's rebellion against God. Right? We hate God. We don't want to have anything to do with him. There's also sin and suffering in Satan's kingdom. Destruction and death, these are at the heart of Satan's kingdom. And being under in his kingdom, under his rule, is terrible. Because he is strong, yes, and he is also destructive. That is the bad news. That is the bad news. That every unbeliever is under Satan's rule. But in our passage, we see the power of Satan, yes. But thankfully, we see the power of Satan defeated when Jesus arrives on the scene. That leads us to our second point, the power of Jesus, verses 6 to 13. We've met the demon-possessed man, we've seen Satan's power, but here we see Jesus. And even before Jesus says or does anything, his power over Satan is already on display. Look at the demon-possessed man's reaction to seeing Jesus. Okay, Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from afar, right, some distance away, he looks over there, he sees Jesus, he ran and fell down before him. You, you would expect that a powerful enemy of Jesus like this demon would either fight him or would run away. But this man does neither. He runs right up to Jesus and he bows down 
before him. That's what it means to fall down before Jesus. He is bowing down to him and recognizing who he is. As we see in verse 7, the demon knows who Jesus is. He is Jesus, Son of the Most High God. This is an absolutely amazing confession because this demon recognizes God's power and glory. He is the Most High God. There is no one else who comes close, even Satan. And the demon also confesses that Jesus Christ, the man standing in front of him, is more than a man. He is the incarnate Son of God. And that means that Jesus has the same power and glory as God does because he is God himself. When this demon comes into Jesus' presence, the only thing that he can do is submit and confess who Jesus is. And the demon knows that because of who Jesus is, as the Son of the Most High God, he knows that he has just come face to face with his powerful judge who will judge him for his rebellion against God. Look at the end of verse 7. The demon begs Jesus. He says, I adjure you. I'm begging you, pleading with you. Do not torment me. That request may sound a little bit strange to us, but if we look in the other Gospels and also in the book of Revelation, we see that this demon is begging Jesus not to send him to eternal punishment yet. Right? Matthew 8.29, it's the same story. The demon says, have you come here to torment us before the time? Before the time that's appointed. And what time is that? Again, look at book of Revelation. It's that time of eternal punishment that we read about in Revelation 20. When Jesus throws his enemies, including Satan, when he throws his enemies into the lake of fire and sulfur, and they will be tormented, notice the same word, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The demon knows who Jesus is. The demon must submit to him. And the demon knows what Jesus has in store for him. And all the demon can do now is beg. He can, all that he can do is beg Jesus to delay that punishment just a little bit longer, just a few more years. But he knows what's coming for him. But as it turns out, it's not just one demon, is it? The demon says in verse 9, My name is Legion. For we are many. The scale of the problem facing Jesus becomes even more apparent now. Jesus is facing thousands of demons. This is where I get to put my history hat on. A legion was a Roman army units, thousands of soldiers. And that's what this demon was like as well. Jesus is facing an army of demons who have taken over this one man. That may seem like too big a problem, but it's not a big problem for Jesus because Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. Because Jesus comes with power. The demons, notice, thousands of demons must obey his command. When he calls them to come out, they come out. All that Jesus has to do is speak. And thousands of demons who are powerful and completely opposed to Jesus and his rule have no other choice but to obey. That is the power of Jesus over Satan. And even more than that, They have no power because they have to beg Jesus, not just to save them from eternal punishment. They have to beg Jesus about what happens next. Look at verses 10 to 13. And he begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. 
Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. Jesus has basically put these demons on a leash. He is telling them what they can and cannot do. They can only do what he lets them do, what he gives them permission to do. So as we read those verses, you might have a question, why does Jesus let them go into these pigs? Especially because the demons caused the 2,000 pigs to run right down a hill into the lake and drown. Why does Jesus let them do that? He has the power to do anything. Why does he let them do that? I think Jesus does this in part to demonstrate just how destructive the plan and the power of these demons really is. You know, the, the death of the pigs did not come as a surprise to Jesus. Right? He knew that when he sent the demons into the pigs, that's exactly what they were going to do. They were going to go and kill the pigs. But that is a clear reminder of their goal to destroy God's creation. If they can't get the man, they're going to try something else and try to destroy what God has made good. But Jesus also let the, lets the demons go into the pigs to show the worth of one human life, saved from Satan's power. 2,000 pigs do not come anywhere close to the worth of this one man whom Jesus saves. So he's showing their destructive power. He's also showing the worth of that one man. That makes us really to turn a corner maybe and to think about the fact that part of why Jesus is doing this entire miracle is not just to deal with demons. But we've seen his power. He's showing his power in every aspect of the encounter. He's showing that he's truly Lord of the spiritual world, that even the forces of evil who are opposed to him must obey him. But he's using that power for a purpose. He's using that power over Satan to save that man. He is saving that man. Jesus' power always has a purpose. And the purpose is salvation. We see the, the results of Jesus' salvation of this man and the rest of the passage. Look just for a moment at verse 15. The man was there, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. Remember, the demons are trying to destroy Jesus, but Jesus restores him completely. This man can now have relationships again, not just with other people, but also with Jesus. And his mind is restored. His body is on the way to being healed. This is what it looks like for Jesus to save. But there's more to Jesus' salvation. The best part of Jesus' salvation of this man is that instead of serving Satan this man is now freed to serve Jesus Christ. See that a little bit further, but before we see that amazing truth, we're confronted in the final verses of our passage with two very different responses to Jesus' power and Jesus' salvation. We see the response of fear and the response of faith. So we'll see third and finally in verses 14 to 20, fear or faith. So we've seen before, Jesus' miracles produce a response. The news about what Jesus has done here quickly spreads to everyone in the region. They come to Jesus to see what's happened, and notice how they respond, with fear. Right? They came to Jesus, they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. They were afraid because they were looking at this demon-possessed man that none of them could control, let alone 
heal, and they could see he has been completely restored. Now, the passage emphasizes that these people knew exactly how this had happened. They don't have to guess. In verse 14, again in verse 16, we're told they heard from the herdsmen about what Jesus had done. They see the results with their eyes, and they know that Jesus is the one who has done it. You might hope that they would rejoice in what has happened. You know, other people respond to Jesus' miracles that way. This past week I was reading about Jesus healing the lepers in Luke 17. And one of the lepers comes back praising God and falling down at Jesus' feet in thanksgiving. It's not what we see here. These people do not respond in that kind of love. They respond in fear. Fear conquers everything else in their life. They are scared of Jesus. They are scared because they see a man here, Jesus, with a power that they cannot understand. And their fear leads them to beg Jesus to depart from the region. They want nothing more to do with Jesus. You can see, can't you, just how terrible a conclusion this is. Here is Jesus, someone who has power, yes, but someone who also has compassion to save this man that they knew, this man who was horribly enslaved to Satan. He had power and compassion to do that. And if Jesus can do that, what could he do for them? How could he help them? What salvation could he work in their lives? They want nothing more to do with Jesus. They don't want that at all. They've had a glimpse of the power and glory of King Jesus, and they don't want it. They don't want to be part of his kingdom. Are you surprised at that kind of reaction? I don't think so. We see that today still, don't we? Some people, when they hear about Jesus, or they see Jesus' work in someone's life, like when someone comes to faith or when they're growing, some people, they don't want to have anything to do with this. They don't want that. They say, no, Jesus, no, Jesus, I don't want that. Please go away and take your Jesus with you. That's a response that we still hear today as people reject Jesus. Sin is at the basis here. Sin is leading to that kind of fear and rejection. Many would rather stay in Satan's kingdom with the pleasures of sin than face the reality of their own sin and the judgment they deserve and trust in the saving, compassionate power of Jesus alone. So many people respond in sin and they respond in fear to Jesus. But thankfully, the man who had been possessed with the demons, he responds very differently to everyone else around him. He responds with faith. We see this man's faith in action when Jesus gets ready to leave. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. This man is begging to be one of Jesus' disciples to go and serve with him. Just think about the amazing faith that's behind that request. This man is ready to leave everything behind to follow Jesus. He's just been healed, and you might think that his first thought would be to see his friends and family again. He hasn't seen them in years. He hasn't been able to communicate with them. But that's not how he responds. No, his eyes are fixed on Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. But Jesus responds by giving him a very different Kind of mission. Verse 19. He did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. 
This man, he asked to be a disciple, and Jesus commissioned him to be the first missionary. This is what this man is now doing. He is getting to proclaim the message about how great God is and how great God has been for him. This man gets to go home, and he gets to proclaim the power and compassion of the Lord in freeing him from Satan after so many years of slavery. And in particular, he gets to proclaim the Lord's mercy for him. The Lord's mercy. It's his free, undeserved favor, especially for those who are suffering. This man knows what it is to be forgiven and healed and restored. And he is getting to go and proclaim that good news of the gospel to everyone he meets in the Decapolis, these cities. And as this man goes to proclaim the good news of the Lord, And what the Lord has done for him, he knows who that Lord is. He knows the Lord God is Jesus. Look at verse 20. And he went away and he began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This man did not go and preach about how a person, how a man did so much for him. No, he understood and proclaimed that Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God. And because Jesus is God... He showed power and mercy to me, and he can do it for you. That is the message this man has. It's amazing to see that the man seems to understand so much more about who Jesus is than the disciples do. Remember the disciples' question just a few hours before when they were in the boat? Who is this? Who is Jesus? This man's got the answer. Jesus is the powerful merciful God. Now that is the message he proclaims, and the message he understands. Everyone in the Decapolis who heard this good news marveled, but so far no other conversions are mentioned. But like we saw in the parable of the kingdom of God in chapter 4, God's work is going forth. The seed of the kingdom is being, the seed of the gospel is being sown, the kingdom of God is being expanded, and the results will come. Just a few chapters later in chapter 7, we'll start to see that his message starts to bear fruit. As we close, I want to close with an application. This is the same Jesus that we have today. We have Jesus, who is this powerful Lord, and he uses his power over Satan in the spiritual world to save his people today. Right now, Jesus is doing that work to save his people from Satan. You know, when we, uh, when we talk about salvation, we rightly believe that when Jesus saves us, our sins are forgiven, God's wrath is satisfied, we receive a new godly nature, the power and penalty of sin are broken in our lives. It's part of what the Bible tells us about our salvation. But we also need to believe that when we are saved, part of what is happening is that God frees us from the evil rule of Satan. Colossians 3.13, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is part of the good news of the gospel. We don't serve Satan anymore. No, we serve Jesus, God's beloved son, because we are now eternally part of his kingdom. It's at the cross and the empty tomb that we see Jesus' power over Satan for our salvation, because as Jesus dies and is raised three days later, as he does this work, he is crushing Satan's head. He is breaking his power. 
just as was, as was promised way back in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 3. And he crushes Satan's head in order to break Satan's power over us, in order to save us. And all the way through Mark, we see previews of this victory. Every time Jesus casts out a demon, and especially in Mark 5, where he casts out thousands of demons, every time he does that, it's a preview of his victory over Satan at the cross. And that victory now is what we experience. He is at work today to apply that same victory over Satan to the lives of his people in salvation. Let me give you one practical way that this applies to us. This changes how we pray. This changes how we pray for the lost. We pray for the conversion of others. Not only that God would break the power of sin in a person's life and bring him to faith, but also that God would have that same mercy that we see in Mark 5, that he would have the same mercy and power to deliver that person we are praying for, for, to deliver them from the kingdom of Satan, to deliver them from Satan's destructive rule, and to transfer them into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Our prayers should be shaped with the reality of Satan's rule but even more so with the reality of Jesus' love and mercy and power for his people. So Satan, or Jesus is still at work to break Satan's power. But a second application in this passage is very simple. And we see it in these final verses. How have you responded to Jesus? Jesus is that powerful, merciful God who saves you from, her, from your sin and the rule of Satan. And my question is this morning is, are you ready to put your faith in him and experience that salvation? Or are you going to be like the men in our passage and try to make him leave you alone? Do you want nothing more to do with Jesus? Or are you the one who runs to Jesus for salvation? In the gospel, Jesus offers every single person salvation. He offers freedom from the terrible, destructive rule of Satan, and he offers a place under his powerful, merciful, eternal rule. My encouragement this morning is to believe those promises. For the first time, or the thousandth, millionth time, whatever it is, believe those promises. Pray those promises to be true for others, and to share the good news of those promises with everyone around you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are our powerful king. We see so clearly in this passage that even though Satan is powerful and he rules, you're no, yeah, he's no match for you. We thank you that we know that's true in our life as we can see that you have broken us out of his kingdom. You've broken his power in our life. and It's true, he still attacks us, but you protect us. And we're now uh, serving you. We pray, Lord, that we would pray and share the good news and serve you with that confidence in your power and your mercy. We thank you for the great salvation you've given to us. And we pray that you would work that same salvation today in the lives of so many people around us. Lord, that you would bring them out of darkness and into your glorious light. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.